Hey, so you know how in many of us there's this voice that nags at us, this critical voice that, you know, says you could have done better, you, you know, if anybody knew you the way you really are, you know, they wouldn't like you. Any of those kinds of negative voices, that, that voice uh, is challenged and shut down by a message in our text today, as well as uh, the, that voice in our head that gives us an imposter syndrome. Anybody know what that is? Imposter syndrome is when, when we act and we try to be something and there's that he- voice in our head that says, that's not really you. If, if they only knew the real you, they, they would shut you down. That uh, voice is shut down by the message in our text today as well. And these are not hypothetical uh, problems. These are real problems. I, I got to believe all of us have sometime or other. Certainly I do. Imposter syndrome, I was there a week ago. And so I want to thank Pastor Jonathan for preaching the last two weeks. Um, and two weeks ago, I was uh, away because I was a co-sponsor and participant speaker at a global empowerment summit at UCSD. And uh, it was fabulous. They've been doing it for several years, but they asked me and uh, some friends of mine to come in and add kindness as an element of this empowerment. And so we did, and it all went off well. It started off um, early in the morning. The, pr- uh, the mayor of San Diego proclaimed that day as Kindness Day in San Diego, and speakers kind of picked up on that. So it, it was going great. Uh, up until the panel that was there right before mine, we were the closers, and uh, the panel right before us, oh my gosh, they were amazing. These, uh, and these were real, real people. These, uh, the, one of them was uh, a professor at the university who uh, was a genius. He was a supercomputing pa- uh, uh, professor. And uh, he, he actually astrophysicist as well, medical biology. His uh, awards are an arm long. Uh, he discovered a galaxy, which at first I thought was pretty impressive. But then they say there's like millions of galaxies, so that it can't be that hard to see them. But I, it must mean something. Beside him, the former uh, director, CEO of the Peace Corps, which she was fabulous. And next to them was the inventor of the cell phone. I, I didn't know there was an inventor of the cell phone. Marty, uh, he's 90 years old, and they were there to talk about technology and how technology is helping the third world countries and those who are impoverished to be empowered, to find their voice, uh, all those kinds of things. And I got to tell you, so they, uh, they get a rounding sound of applause as they go off and up I come. And I'm like, seriously, I, I mean, okay, here... Let me introduce myself. I have been to a university, <laughs> and I've heard of the Peace Corps, and I own a cell phone. That, you know, I'm, I'm like praying, Lord, is there anybody else that could come up uh, and do this? I, I wrestled with imposter syndrome right up until uh, I was called to speak. Uh, and uh, there are no imposters with God. God knows us, right? And, and he knows uh, 
us better than we know ourselves. And he inspired the author of Colossians 3 to write uh, the words that are there and written to people like us. Uh, and here's what he wrote in Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the author, uh, Paul, who wrote this to people like us in a church like ours. These are beautiful words when written in Scripture. They are powerful words when written in our hearts. So we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would come and write these words on our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the message that can shut down the negative voice in our head uh, is right there in the first sentence. It's the instruction that will help us hold our head high when we might otherwise want to wallow or slink away in self-doubt. And the message is this. Put on the suit. Put on the suit. Right? There you go. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Okay, so Iron Man. Iron Man is the most popular Marvel superhero of them all. But the reason I'm using him in this is he is totally inadequate as a superhero. He has no strength. He can't fight his way out of a paper bag without the suit. He has to put the suit on. Tony Stark. Um, the term put on the suit comes from uh, the first Avengers movie where uh, Captain America, who is strong, he, he and Tony are going back and forth. They're kind of fighting, arguing with each other. And Captain America says to Tony Stark, put on the suit so we could have a fair fight. You're nothing without your suit. And uh, then they get attacked. And Captain America turns to Tony and says, put on the suit. Because why? The world needs Iron Man. Let me tell you, the world needs Christians who have put on the suit. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He knows we are not the most compassionate, kind, gentle, humble, patient people. And if he isn't sure about that, he can ask our coworkers, you know, our friends, our spouses. They will tell him they're not. But the author doesn't tell us to be perfect. He tells us to clothe ourselves, to, to suit up. So Tony Stark, an average guy, can make a world-changing difference when he's suited up as Iron Man. When we can make life-changing differences when we put on the suit of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But wait, is Tony Stark an imposter because he has to put on the suit? Um, eventually, Tony Stark learns to be Iron Man. It takes like, I don't know, six, eight, ten movies to go from Iron Man 1 to Avengers Endgame. And there's an arc of Tony Stark all the way from beginning to end. Um, at first, he's a self-absorbed playboy in a metal suit, right? And by the end, he's a self-sacrificing father and friend and uh, no longer selfish man in a suit. 
but actually becomes uh, as transformed emotionally and intellectually, spiritually into the man who fits in that suit. Um, but, and this is important, even when he becomes the man who can wear the suit, what does he still need to do? He still needs to put on the suit. We never become the people who are just good enough by ourselves. We always have to put on the clothing of God, God's godly clothing. No matter how long we've been Christians, how often we read the Bible and we pray, no matter how much like Jesus we become, we always have to put on the suit. The world needs us suited up, whether we feel like it or not. Um, and uh, whether that inner voice says that we are kind or compassionate, I'll tell you what, maybe if we're being honest, we might say, ah, gentleness, that sounds weak. I don't really want to be gentle. Uh, and, and patient, that doesn't help me get my job done. Uh, I got things to do, places to go. I don't have time for all of this. And we can, in fact, though, clothe ourselves, put them on. Whether we, whether we trust it or not, believe it or not, we can clothe ourselves with compassion, with kindness. And we are directed by Scripture to act like we have those feelings even when we don't. He doesn't say, feel compassionate. He says, clothe yourself with compassion. Um, many movies later, the Iron Man suit fits like a glove for him. And one day, compassion and kindness and all the rest may just come naturally out of us. Um, but until then, put on the suit. So I learned this lesson uh, right here in Simi Valley 20 years ago. I was a student. I was an intern at this church. And uh, there was someone had passed away, and there was a graveside service uh, out at El Rancho Cemetery. And Pastor Jeff couldn't go, and he asked me to do it. And frankly, even if he had been able to go, I think he was smart enough to say, let's, let's send the intern but he, he needs to learn. And I was scared to death. I was not a pastor. I, I was a student. I didn't even have a card that said anything like pastor-ish. I was, I was nothing. And my inner voice was on overload, criticizing me, saying, if they know who you are, you're doomed. They don't know. They, um, and so what did I do? I suited up. I actually put on a suit carried my biggest Bible, uh, you know, got there early to check everything out. I was there so early, the only person there was a gardener, and he was kind of setting things up. And I'm like, okay, okay, we, we can do this. And then terror, there's the coffin. Which end do you stand at? Oh my gosh, I don't know, I haven't had that class yet. I, <clears throat> I mean, there's, you know, there's someone in it, there's a head and a and do you stand which end and and I'm sure everyone coming is going to know which is which and they're going to find out I don't know they're going to put a hold on the service until they get a real minister out here to do this and uh imposter syndrome on high alert and so I looked around Gardner only one I asked him uh which end do you stand at and he gave me the best advice I've ever heard as a pastor. I have been following it ever since. 
He said, son, you're a pastor. Whichever end you stand at is the right end. I have been getting through life like that ever since. Um, But uh, was there comfort any less because they didn't have a card that said pastor? Did they have any less hope in the future, any less confidence that they would see their loved one again? Because I didn't have it all inside me the way I I might now today. No. I had to clothe myself with it. I had to put it on to trust the message, to trust the word of God, to know it's the word of God that's the truth. It's not me. So here's a next step we can try this week. Now, I want to talk about next steps for just a minute. So I've preached about 30 sermons here. And if I give you two next steps or three uh, every sermon, that's like 60 to 90 next steps. Um, No one's asking you to do all 90 of them. Let me ask you a question. Have you done one? Can you remember one? Because my my hope, my purpose, my goal is to help help us become more like Jesus. If, If... when, when I leave, if there are some people who say, I'm more like Jesus because Pastor Neil was here, I'm good. It, put that on my tombstone. People are more like Jesus because this man lived. Oh. So h- how do you do that? I want to challenge you, encourage you, nudge you. <clears throat> Take a next step. It might not be any of the ones in this sermon. But there's going to be one that you resonate with and take it. Because this is what I firmly believe. If you take a next step towards God, I'm done. Because he will meet you. You take a step of faith and God will meet you. And take you to the next and the next and the next. And there will be another mentor and a leader and a, and a challenge and an opportunity. You are on the road. And if you've been walking that road and you're taking step after step, I just praise the Lord. Let me just encourage you. Maybe there's one here for you. So here's a next step. Choose one of the words from Colossians 3, 12. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, or patience. And look for one chance this week to put that word on like a suit. That's it. So let me just say you may be saying, maybe that negative words and voices in your head, you're not a particularly compassionate person. That's okay. Ask yourself, what would Mother Teresa do? And do that. Just ask yourself, what would Mother Teresa do? Uh, and not feeling kind, ask yourself, what would be helpful in this situation? All right, in any situation you're in. I love this picture. I could have found a cute puppy picture that was somebody being kind, but I like this one because this is just a clerk in an aisle helping someone find, I don't know, shoelaces, hair clips. This, there's no superhero in kindness. It's just what needs to be done, what would be helpful, and do that. Okay, so you want something cute? Here you go. Not sure how to be gentle? Not sure how to be gentle? Imagine how you would treat a three-month, a, a, a three-week-old puppy. And do that. How do you be gentle? The way you are with a little puppy. 
Not sure how to be patient? Think of waiting for a one-year-old to take her first steps. And then be like that. Right? Aren't we like this when we when we when you're when you're working with a little one and they haven't taken their first step by themselves? What what are you? You're patient. And you're like, come on, come on. You can do it. You can do it. You're not like, seriously, come on, I got things to do. Come on, you're one. You're behind the pre the rest of them. No, we don't do that. When if you need to be patient, just what would I do if I was trying to help a one-year-old walk? And do that. It's not that hard. But you got to put it on like a suit. The world is desperate for Christians who will put on the suit. Too many Christians are hostile and hurtful and selfish and unwilling or unable to change. The author of our text doesn't tell us to stay unkind until by some miracle you wake up someday and find yourself, to your own surprise, kind. He writes, with God's inspiration, clothe yourselves with this. Uh, But doesn't it seem like in this world today, there's a lot of the opposite going on. A lot of lack of compassion, unkindness, pride, roughness, impatience. Is that what it takes to be noticed or win? You know, we're all trying to have self-branding now. And we're trying, can, can can we make a name for ourselves with these godly traits? Um, not a hypothetical question, uh, question. There seems to be a growing sense now that you can't be nice and make a difference. You've you got to be something else. So it begs the question, do we live in a world where the, where the values of Scripture, where, the, where, the, where what, what God calls us to do is five minutes ago? It's, it doesn't work in our world today. Um, that gentle Jesus, meek and mild, is a quaint idea, but it's for the past. Because our world is too rough for Jesus anymore. I'm guessing there are pastors who are preaching that. They're preaching, be tough, take it to the world, all of that kind of stuff. So let me ask you a question. What were they doing to Christians when this book was written? They were nailing Christians to crosses for their faith. It wasn't easier in first century. The truth, extremely simple, but incredibly difficult to live out, is this. We are called to a much higher standard. We are called to a much higher standard. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive. How? As the Lord has forgiven you. Wow. We don't have an option. We don't have a choice. The call on the lives of Christians is not to win at all costs, not to have incredible success, and it doesn't matter who you walk on or who you criticize in the meantime. It's to bear with each other and forgive one another how as the Lord has forgiven you. What a standard. And just so you know, we're not the first generation of Christians who've had it tough, where the world has had a completely different standard than we have had, than, than that we're supposed to be living up to. So we're swinging the, a weighted bat. You know, it's been going on for a long time. So here are a few standards that are so familiar, all of you know them all. All right? And they're not recent. Here we go. Look out for number 
Yeah, you all know that. That was in 1835. That was the standard. Speak softly and carry a 1900. Who said that? Theodore Roosevelt. An iron fist and a velvet Napoleon Bonaparte. 1800. Winning isn't everything. It's the 1955. Or forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. That's the only one. Written in 50. So do we roll our eyes at Paul's, the author's naivete? Do we say in a perfect world we could do that, but the world's not perfect? No. There are examples of people having extreme success, making a huge difference in the world, um, living up to these high standards. So I know I have talked about Ken Blanchard to the point where you will roll your eyes if I talk about Ken Blanchard. So I'm not going to talk about Ken Blanchard, even though he has written the book Lead Like Jesus, and he has a foundation called Lead Like Jesus, where he teaches business professionals around the world to, yeah, to lead like Jesus, and to, to live up to the standards and values of Christ. But I'm not going to talk about Ken. Um, I want to I ask, have you heard of Harvey McKay? Now, that that's, doesn't roll off our lips quite as easily. Seven-time New York Times best-selling author of Swim with Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive. I, I actually, when I was in business, heard about that book uh, long, long ago. It sold more than five million copies, selling many still today. He has two books in the top 15 inspirational business books of all time. And his company, he owns an envelope manufacturing company. It, it produces 25 million envelopes a day. Wow. And th this is a successful person. And on his website, he writes this. As much as I love the title, Swim with Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive, unfortunately, a lot of people thought I was advocating becoming a shark. Rather, my message then and now is to give people the tools to get along and work with sharks. So I met him. I met Mr. McKay. He was speaking at Ken Blanchard's 80th birthday party <laughs> earlier this year. And he gave Ken credit for helping him get started. I think he actually said Ken helped him come up with the name of that book. These are unbelievably successful people, not just financially, but because of influence, and influence from a good place. We have a high standard. So here's the next step. Think of one person. This is going to be hard. Think of one person you have to bear with or have a grievance with. Should I give you time to think about this? You can't come up with anybody? Okay. Can you think of somebody that, oh, I just got to bear with them, put up with them. I, you know, I got a grievance against this person. All right. In, got them. See if you can offer this prayer for them. Lord, please do the very best you can for them. Please do the very best you can for them. Um, now, if, if, you're, if you're feeling like, I can't pray that for them. 
is I know God's going to do something good for them, and I don't want that. Okay, well, uh, you can, you, here's the second sentence you can pray. Lord, please do the very best you can for them. And if you need any suggestions on what you should do with them, you can come to me and ask me, right? And I'm sure you'll have lots of suggestions. I'm going to guess he's not going to ask. Because here's what I love about this. We can pray this for our children and for the people we have grievances against. Because we trust God's going to do the right thing with each of them. But this, this is a step towards living into that higher standard. Take that person that's challenging and just pray this prayer for them. So how do we live up to such a high standard? You know, we start off well. Uh, we, we, have a, we have good intentions. Every morning we have good intentions, and then uh, something happens throughout the week. Have, have you heard this prayer? Dear Lord, so far I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent, and I'm, I'm really glad for that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. <laughs> and from then on, I'm going to need a lot of help. So compassion and kindness, these are tough standards. How do we, how do we, how do we clothe ourselves? How do we even begin to put this stuff on? Uh, we remember what comes at the beginning and the end. What comes at the beginning and the end of the text. Love is the beginning and the end. I want you to hold on to this picture for a minute. And let's go to the text and look at our verses all together. Let's go ahead and look at the text. And look at the beginning and the end. We've been talking about the middle. The beginning says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, holy and dearly loved. Then over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Love is the beginning and the end. And everything we do in between is because of love. The love God has for us and the love we're to have for others. So uh, let's put that picture up again. And let me uh, ask you to find yourself in this picture. Which person are you? If you had to choose one, and uh, depending on our age and our stage in life, some of us would identify with the older fellow and others with the younger girl. But in Colossians 3, we're all the girl. We're all the young one. With God's arm around us, who says, dearly loved, I have chosen you, each of you. You are holy and dearly loved. We are chosen we are the innocent, the inexperienced, the ill-prepared, the untrained, the overly confident, the inappropriately self-assured, and yet we are the dearly loved ones. It's so important because the reason we can put on the suit is because we're loved. Uh, the reason we can clothe ourselves with gentleness and patience is because we're chosen. We can take the risk of wearing the suit of fighting our inner critical voice, of stepping up even when we feel like imposters, when we understand and feel that we are deeply loved, we are chosen. Um, so do you feel that way about yourself? Or is your inner voice already sounding off right now going, not you, you know, everybody else in the room, but not you because they don't know the real you. It's like we have an inner golem, right, uh, talking to us all the time. I wish I could 
take each of you by your face and look you say look me in the eye you are chosen you are dearly loved that's why we can clothe ourselves the power of knowing that about ourselves is incredible it's why kids uh, kids do this all the time they go mom 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 what watch and then what do they do nothing they do nothing they jump, they, they're standing on a block, and they jump off it, <laughs> they, right? They do a little dance. They spin around. They sing. They, uh, they jump in a pool. Dad, 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 what? Watch. Why? Because they know you love them. They're wrapped in your arms, and they, they want to please us, and, they, and it doesn't matter what they do because we're going to say, great job, because we love them. They're chosen. They're dearly loved. But by the time we get to be adults or even teenagers, sometimes younger, we seem to have forgotten to stop believing. And so we stop dancing. We stop twirling. We stop saying watch because we don't think anybody is. And you know what? God says that if we would just do it. That was awesome. Best try at being compassionate ever. Next time, don't yell so loud. Um, you know? <laughs> so I want to go back to the photo of these two. If you had to find yourself in the picture, which one would you be? Do you know, we aren't just the girl. We're the old guy. We're both. We're the bookends. We're the ones that are loved and the ones who love. We're the people who put on love, which binds the rest in perfect unity. Over all these virtues, over all these things we've been talking about, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's easy to get caught up in the work of God, to doing things for God, the business of life, the busyness of life, the difficulties of raising kids, or the challenges of growing old and miss putting on love, wrapping ourselves in it. If our message... And our approach keeps people at arm's distance. It's not God's message. It's not the gospel. Because people came to Jesus. If our faith pushes people away or denigrates them or dehumanizes people or raises fists at others, it can't be Christian faith. Because Christian faith and Christians put on love which binds the rest in perfect unity. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. So next step, imagine seeing yourself as the young person in this photo. I want you to imagine you're that person and take a few minutes and see what that feels like. Sometime this week. And let me ask you this. What stops you from feeling that loved and accepted by God? Because he does. What would be easier in your life if you knew God cared about you like that? You're that one. Loved. Dearly loved. I started the message by saying, uh, this message has a solution for all of us when we have those negative thoughts and the voice is telling us we aren't good enough or that we're imposters. Have you, have you gotten the solution? Was it clear? It isn't that God expects us to be perfect. 
God wants us to know we are chosen and loved. We aren't imposters, even though we aren't perfect. Sure, let's keep growing. Let's keep transforming. Let's becoming more and more like Jesus. But until then, until the day arrives when we are fully like Jesus with our hearts and minds and souls and strength, what should we do? Should we do nothing? No. Just put on the suit. 